Um, one of the one of the good things about um, yeah okay. So one of the good things about uh, coming to worship in person, besides seeing all of your happy faces and so forth, um, seeing one another, is we get to walk past the garden on our way in. So those of you who are online, um, this is what it kind of looks like right now. So uh, a year ago, this was uh, basically a big heap of of uh, dirt and some brown grass, and now it's just a beautiful. Um, garden, and we often see people from the neighborhood who are like walking their dog or something, and they will stop by and take a look at it. And I have to tell you, I have zero credit for this. In fact, whenever I see the gardeners out there working on it, um, I will demonstrate my ignorance because I really know nothing at all about about gardening. So uh, I'll say, you know, what are these green things? That kind of, you know, and they would say they're called plants, or they'll tell me, you know, some fancy name for the flower or whatever. So, so um, I don't know anything about gardening. And in fact, that reflects, I really don't know anything at all about uh, horticulture in general. If it's plants or frankly most animals, I don't know anything about it. So um, I'm, my, my ignorance is unplumbed in the area of gardening. But uh, today we're going to be talking about grafting. And so I had to read up on grafting and, and I actually talked to some people. And um, I was told, um, I was told, uh, so uh, I was told that in in Alaska we don't have olive olive trees. They um, they uh, these are this is an olive grove. In case you're curious, and uh, that's what an olive looks like when it's on an olive tree. But we don't have them in Alaska. Um, we don't have them because it's too cold here. They grow in the Mediterranean. That's why the Mediterranean diet has olive oil and all those good things, right? But we don't have olives here. But I was told by somebody we do have an example of grafting that takes place in Alaska. And the reason is because just like olive trees, apple trees won't grow in Alaska. And what you want to do if you have to grow, if you want to have apples, what you have to do is you have to splice apple branches onto a crab apple tree because crab apples will grow and apples won't. So there's this example where you splice or you graft in um, a branch onto the other the other tree and it will it will grow. Now I don't know if that's true, um, but that's what I've been told. So because I'm I'm kind of gardening ignorant, I don't send the email because I confess my lack of knowledge. But that's what I've been told. So uh, Paul's going to talk to us about grafting. I have to tell you uh, because I'm a computer nerd, I actually know of one more example. If you think of if you think of uh, file folders on your computer, you know you may have like desktop and, and documents and so forth. Sometimes th th those are usually arranged as a kind of tree where the folders contain other folders. So it's kind of like you've got this tree of documents kind of spanning out from your desktop or from your documents folder, things like that. And sometimes if you move a folder full of documents from one tree, you can move it over to another tree. So that's that's the closest I personally get to uh, grafting. So uh, whichever one of those those um, uh, images is, is more helpful to you, uh, the, the key thing is we now have a clear understanding of what grafting is, um, whether we're, we're planting people or computer people. So, so uh, we are going to be talking about grafting, and the reason is because Paul talks about grafting in this letter. And in this letter, Paul specifically says this letter, this part of his letter, is addressed to us. Now we are we've been looking now for the last several weeks um, at this uh, first century document called uh, the Book of Romans. And as we've heard, it's not, it's not actually a book. It's a letter that Paul wrote to a church in um, Rome about the middle of the first century. So about 55 AD, Paul wrote this letter uh, from wherever he was then to, to this uh, group of Christians living in Rome. So uh, Paul was, was a leader in the early church, the Apostle Paul, he's sometimes called. And in this letter, specifically, just a couple of verses before our passage, he says, 
Now I am speaking to you Gentiles. And my guess is that's most of us. Um, because Gentiles are people who are not related, who are not descended from Abraham. So if you, if you, if you uh, consider you know, the story of the, the patriarchs, there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob has a bunch of children. He gets a new name, so now he's, he's Israel. And so all of his children are the children of Israel. So that family tree, starting with Abraham, working you know, up through every, every Jew who's ever lived, um, is, is part of the children of Abraham or the family of Abraham. So they're all descended from Abraham. And in, in the language of the Bible, everybody else is a Gentile. So you're either descended from Abraham or you're descended from whoever you're descended from all the way back to Adam. So that's, that's the idea, is that there's these two family trees, Abraham's and the family tree of the Gentiles. And Paul is speaking specifically to the Gentiles. Now, if you're... Um, or, and I should, I should add, he's speaking to Gentile Christians because the entire letter is written to Christians. So if you're not a Jesus follower, if you're not sure what you believe about, about uh, church or, or Christianity, things like that, uh, this message is not really for you because Paul's not, not talking to you. You're welcome to listen, but if you zone out you know, and you know, start thinking about you know, lunch or something, that's fine too because this message is aimed at Gentile um, Christians. Now, if you are not a Gentile, if you are uh, a Jew, whether you are a uh, Christian Jew or a non-Christian Jew, that's fine. You can listen, but again, it's not really aimed at you. So, all of that preparatory information behind us now. Let's see what Paul actually has to say to us. So, he says, if some of the branches were broken off, and you, though a wild branch, were grafted in among them and have come to share in the rich root of the cultivated olive tree, do not boast that you're better than those branches. So, what does he mean by branches? He means that um, uh, this, this family tree of Abraham and the family tree of the Gentiles, he's picturing a, a, a gardening operation where a branch is broken off of the family tree of Abraham and a branch is broken off of the, the family tree of the Gentiles and it's moved into that spot on, on the tree of Abraham. So, he says, you were unnaturally in the sense of this is not what happens in nature. In nature, you're either descended from Abraham or you're not. But because God is supernatural, God can do this. God can um, unnaturally move you um, into this different position. So he's talking about olive trees, but that's the big idea. He's, he's using a metaphor here to talk about this idea of um, the olive tree. And so he says, he says, um, do not boast. Do not do not boast that you're better than those branches. And um, uh, uh, he says, he says uh, don't boast that you're better. You're now in this new tree, so don't boast that you're better. Now, about a hundred years after the time of Paul, there was a, a man uh, also living in Rome uh, named Marcion. He was an influential leader in the, in the church in the second century, about 150 AD. And he disagreed with this. He said, actually, no, Christians... Uh, uh, Gentile Christians are better than Jews, Christian or non-Christian Jews. He said that, that um, the Gentiles were really all that and the Jews weren't. And uh, he, he, um, he created a, 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 a group, a, a library of uh, letters from New, New Testament writers, uh, people like Paul, and he created essentially the first Bible that ever was, the first time anybody put together a collection of documents it would become the, the Bible. And, um, and 
What he did in that is he specifically omitted all of the Jewish scriptures because he said, don't worry about that stuff. We're better than them. That's what, that's what Marcion said. And the first century or the second century church rejected that. And um, they rejected him so thoroughly, they actually gave back all of his money, too, which is, you know, when the church does that, you know they're serious. So, um, so Marcion was rejected. The whole idea of Marcionism or, or that, that idea that, that Gentile Christianity is different and discon- discontinuous from um, Hebrew Christianity is, is not part of uh, standard Christian teaching. And it goes back to passages like this where Paul says, that, that everybody has been moved into, uh, every, every believer has been moved into the family of the children of Abraham. So, so um, the first thing um, that Paul is talking about here is um, that salvation is found in the people of God. So he's saying that, that uh, God did not you know, uh, scrap plan A, which was the children of Abraham. God has actually um, saved the Gentiles by grafting them into the family of Abraham. So salvation is found in the people of God. So partly he means that Marcionism is, is, is um, out of balance, that, that the, the Hebrew scriptures are a part of the Christian heritage. Um, and so our understanding of who God is comes both from the New Testament and the Old Testament. So that's part of what he means. But he also means that there aren't any Lone Ranger Christians, that, that you can't be a Christian in isolation. You know, if you're you know, lost on a desert island, there may be some exceptions where, you know, God grants particular exceptions. Uh, but if you ever get rescued, you can't be a Christian in isolation. And the reason for that is that the New Testament teaches us that we are to, to um, do all kinds of things for one another. That, that there's what's called the 59 one another's. There's 59 different teachings in the New Testament that says Christians are to, to do this thing for one another. They are to, to support one another, to encourage one another, to accept one another, to honor one another, to pray. I'm not going to do the whole list, but, but there's a list of 59. There's not a list. There's, it's scattered. But there's 59 different things that Christians are supposed to do for one another. And obviously you can't do that if you are not connected to other Christians. And so Paul is saying that there is a rich root that includes the, the Jewish um, heritage of Christianity, but it also is what sustains us um, because we are adopted into the family of the children of God. Back in chapter 8, Paul said how we have received a spirit of adoption. Well, adoption is into a family, and Paul says this is the family. We've been adopted into the family of the children of Abraham. So, so salvation is found in the people of God. But Paul knew that... Paul... Um, so, Paul knew that it's difficult not to, not to um, boast. And uh, those of you who have families know sometimes why, because sometimes other people in the family are difficult. You know, there's the black sheep of the family, uh, there's crazy Uncle Fred who shows up at Thanksgiving, there's all kinds of, there's all kinds of people um, in a family that you might be tempted to boast about. So, so, Paul is saying, first of all, don't assume you're better and somehow isolated from that group of people. But secondly, he's saying, and now that you're in the family, don't look around and judge it either. So he says, um, he says in verse 19, he says, then you will say, well, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. He says, all right, fine. I'm part of the family tree. Fair enough. Okay, I've been moved to this new family tree. I'm with you on that. But look at them. <laughs> okay, some of these people, can you, you know, you know uh, 
I, I may not be better than, than you know, people in this tree, but I'm at least better than the ones who got broken off. Right? I mean, surely that must be true. And Paul says, uh, true enough, they were broken off because of unbelief, but you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but beware, because if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So, um, so what, is, what does he mean there? Well, he means, he means what he says. He means that, that the, the basis for inclusion in the, in the children of God, the family of God, um, is what Jesus has done for us. That, that it's nothing we brought to the table. It's something that Jesus has done for us. And we can, either, we can either accept that and say, okay, well, that works for me. Or we can say, no, 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 I'm not going to, no, I, I have a different plan. I'm going to do it a different way. I've got my own strategy for uh, getting through life and getting through eternity. Um, I don't need what Jesus has done. So, so uh, Paul is saying that, um, that you pretty much have a choice um, of what you're going to do. Uh, but he says, don't, don't look at the other people. It's not like you brought anything to this family. Um, maybe the reason that the, those 59 uh, uh, one another is, is in the Bible is because of you. You know, you're not all that. He's saying you're only included in the family because, because of your faith in what Christ has done because of his love for you. So the second point is we are precious to God, but we're not special. God uh, has put an invaluable price on our heads. I mean, we, we, we have invaluable, uh, we are invaluable. Um, that's a terrible word. Um, we have infinite value because, because Christ gave himself for us. But we're not special. I'm not more special than you. You're not more special than, than me and so forth. Within the family of the children of God, we're all um, equal in that regard, that we are here because of faith. So Paul says, um, he says, uh, he will not spare you either. So he continues and says, so consider the God's kindness and severity. Um, that, is, that is an interesting phrase. All through the New Testament, we see people talk about the, the two aspects of God. We hear about uh, justice and mercy or truth and mercy. That God, God uh, looks at us and sees us warts and all, right? He sees the real us, but he has mercy on us. But in this one place, Paul uses a different word. Instead of saying justice and mercy, he says kindness and severity. And this severity is a really interesting word. Um, uh, I was looking at different translations to find it. Sometimes it's harshness and things like that. But, um, but it's this idea, it is justice, but it's an unflinching justice. It's, it's like, okay, all right, that's what's got to be done. And sure enough, God does it. So he says God, God is severe toward those who have fallen, but... Um, but has kindness toward you if you remain in his kindness. Otherwise, you will be cut off. <clears throat> so, what does he mean by that? What is, what is it fallen? Um, well, he's told us back in verse 20, he said, he said unbelief is, is, the, is the problem. That the, the Jews who were broken off were broken off because of unbelief. So, the, to be fallen, you know, a branch falling from a tree or something, uh, I assume is his picture. Um, that is, is because of their unbelief. Now, um, unbelief is different from doubts. We talked a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how um, in this life we will always be struggling with the old self, the, 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 the um, body of death that Paul talked about, that, that there's always going to be temptations and there's always going to be doubts. That's just part of, 
of life here in this fallen world. So that's going to go on. But disbelief is different. Disbelief is when you actually look at the situation and say, okay, that's what God is promising. You know, God, God is saying that this is the way it's going to work and, and you know, he's done these things for me and I don't like that. I'm, I'm going to do something else to say, I don't think this is the best option for me. That is disbelief. So it's a conscious intention to, to uh, disregard what God has uh, available to us. So having doubt is not unbelief. And Paul is saying that, that the, the, the reason that somebody could, could um, be uh, uh, broken off of this, this tree they're in is because of unbelief. So he says, be careful um, that, uh, that you too could be cut off. And so, you too could be cut off. But, Paul doesn't leave it there. He doesn't say, you know, bummer for them. You know, they should have made a better decision. Paul doesn't leave it there. Paul says, but hold on, I'm not done yet. Paul says, um, I have great hope for my people, the Israelite nation. I have hope for them because, he says, um, and even they, if they do not remain in belief, uh, unbelief, will be grafted in because God has the power to, to graft them in again. Now, Paul knows, at this point, Paul's kind of out of the gardening playbook, right? You don't actually cut a, cut a, break a branch off a tree, leave it sitting there for three or ten years or something, and then come back later and, uh, you know, graft it back onto the tree. Paul knows that that doesn't happen in real um, uh, uh, gardening. But, but he says God has the power. Paul, Paul is drawing on that that rich Jewish heritage he was talking about. He's looking at places like the, the prophet Ezekiel's vision of a valley full of dry bones. Uh, you know, and, and, and the prophet is actually asked, can these bones live again? And the prophet says, God knows. Paul is saying God has the power to do things that don't happen. That God, God can, can reverse the order of things. That even this dead, dried up, broken off branch can be grafted back in because God has that power. God has the power to graft them in again. And he says, for if you, you know, you Gentiles, were cut off from your native wild olive trees against nature, were grafted into the cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, who already have an affinity for this, this tree, how much more will they be grafted into their own um, ancestral olive tree? So he says, how much more for them? So, so Paul is saying that, um, that he has good hope for the nation of Israel. And really we can have, uh, on that same logic, if God can bring in a dead branch and if God can bring in wild olives, God can bring in anyone. So we are to have good hope for all, even if they are right now in a state of disbelief, even if they, um, uh, we heard a prayer for, for someone today um, that who, is, who is in a state of uh, uh, um, disbelief. And uh, we are to have good hope for them because God may uh, may make um, uh, uh, God has the ability to to graft them into this tree um, if they change from their position of disbelief. So the story's not over. Jesus hasn't returned. We've got the rest of of this age to to get those things sorted out. You know that 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 uh, things, things may change. The nation of Israel may come around or whatever. whatever. We are to have hope that good things may yet happen for people. So that's, that's his idea. But Paul doesn't simply say, and until then, God only knows. Paul doesn't leave it at that because, because he said something else. Earlier I quoted, so we're to have good hope for all. Um, 
Earlier I quoted from the beginning of this section in um, uh, verse 13, where Paul says, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. And he says, why he's speaking to us Gentiles? Why is he speaking to us Gentiles? He says, insofar as I'm an apostle to Gentiles, that's my job, um, then I magnify my ministry. I do more than just ministering to Gentiles this way, right? I, I have a double ministry. I get a, I get a bonus by doing my job, ministering to Gentiles, but I can magnify it if somehow I can make my own people jealous and save some of them. So he says that there is something that people can do to influence the outcome. It's not simply shrugging and saying, well, you know, in God's time, we'll see how things turn out for them. He's not saying that. He says he hopes that maybe he can make them jealous. So what does he mean by jealous? Well, Jesus essentially tells us the answer in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you, you Christians, are the light of the world. The city on top of a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. So, how does that connect with jealousy? Well, the idea is they should look at, they should look at Christians. They should, they should look at Christians who are having their public ministry or their public um, life as, as Christians, who are Christians in public, and say, I kind of want what they had. You know, I, they, they've got something I don't have. Uh, they, 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 they do marriage better than, than I do. They do their finances better than I do. They do their, par- uh, their, their, their parenting better. They, they have more courage in the face of uh, tough circumstances of life. I wish I had what they've got. That's the kind of jealousy Paul's talking about. If you think of uh, Jesus' most famous parable, the parable of the lost son, um, the son is, is living in a pig pen, right? He's, been, he's starving and feeding pigs and wishing he could eat the pig food. And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death. That's the kind of jealousy Paul is talking about. He's talking about our public witness as Christians, that we are, in fact, to live our lives as a city on a hill, as, as a light um, for people to see. We are, we are to be that kind of people. Now, that doesn't mean we are to be obnoxious, and it certainly means, as Paul has said, it doesn't mean to look down on non-Christians. It simply means to live our life as Christians in such a way that people can see what we have and say, I'd like to have some of that. I don't know about dinosaurs and seven days of creation. I don't know about all kinds of stuff. This is, a, this is not at all supernatural. This is just pragmatic. I want what they've got. Paul says we have that opportunity by the way we live our lives, by the way God works in us and through us, we have the ability to help people become jealous so that it would overcome their disbelief. We are grafted into the family of the people of God. That There are no Lone Ranger Christians. And um, that even within that family, none of us are special. Um, and um, we will go on having doubts as long as we are in this age. But we are nevertheless to have good hope for everyone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this special message aimed at us who are not natively part of the family of Abraham. We pray, O oh God, you would help us to um, understand our role in your salvation, 
that we are um, grafted into a new family and that um, we have the opportunity by the way we live our lives as Christians to help uh, disbelievers, unbelievers, um, want what we have, what you have given us. We pray that you would help keep this hope alive in all of us. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.